Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football, presented by Texas Road. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning by Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, both of On3 and Inside Texas. And guys, Sark, of course, has a press conference today, what, here in about three hours or so. What are you expecting him to say about Quinn Ewers and Jalen Catalan? Wow. Um, expecting or hoping? hoping. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the million-dollar question, right? Um, I think that we're hoping uh, that uh, Steve Sarkeesian says he's at the very least a game time decision. Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't think he's going to say, oh, he's definitely playing. I think we can take that one off. And for him to say he's day to day earlier in the week leads me to believe that unless he just comes out and says he's definitely, I think it's going to be a game time decision. Uh, as far as Jalen Catalan, you know, that was moving in the right direction. And, and Blake, you bring up a good name there because he would secretly be kind of a, an, an additional piece to the puzzle for a Texas secondary that has kind of been maligned uh, this season at the very best. I mean, uh, Will Howard passed for a season or for a career high against the Longhorns. Uh, now, he passed well in the in the, in between the 20s, but not necessarily in the red zone. So uh, there's some there's a level to that. But uh, I tell you what, uh, if the Longhorns can get healthy down the stretch and it, particularly at quarterback, in uh, other places, like uh, even on the offensive line and the defensive secondary, uh, we already saw what what difference Ryan Watts has made a little bit, in my opinion, especially against the run. Uh, that could be uh, very meaningful for the Longhorns. Um, and one thing I will say is Quinn's practiced this week. He has practiced. So um, there's not – it's just not standing on the sidelines, throwing a ball, seeing how you feel. He's out there in full uniform going through the practices this week. We'll see what happens. All right, the next thing I want to talk about, uh, guys, early signing day yesterday, or signing day period for uh, UT Sports minus football. Yeah. And uh, there was some big signings across all sports, really. Yeah, you take men's basketball. You take men's basketball because that's the one people are going to want to know the most about. I've got a couple. Yeah, uh, yeah. Little recon on that I want to mention from other sports. Yep, yep. Uh, Texas basketball signed number 34 in the country, Cam Scott, 6'5 shooting guard out of Lexington, South Carolina, already being mentioned in the 2025 mock drafts in the top 15 picks. Uh, then they signed number 45 in the country, uh, Nick Cody, 6'8 and a half power forward, son of Nakia Cody, who had to throw out the hookum yesterday on Twitter after his son signed with Texas. I say that because Nakia Cody was a safety at Baylor and in the NFL. So uh, but, you know, ch child over uh, allegiance all the time, right? Um, so Texas is waiting on Trey Johnson now, number four in the country, five-star guard out of Lake Highlands. They won state last year at Lake Highlands out of Richardson. He's at Link Prep Academy as a senior. Uh, it's Texas or Baylor. At, at the early signing period ends November 15th. We'll see if he does something in that window. I think at an end of the week, Texas and Baylor expected him to. Uh, but we'll see if he follows through on that link prep academy. He was not expected to sign yesterday, by the way, or pick a school. They played yesterday. This one uh, is still in the uh, playing out stages, but Texas right there battling. Uh, women's basketball signed the number one class in the country or top three class, depending on who you uh, who, who you look at. But a top three class, Texas basketball, men's number nine in the on three team rankings. Yeah, the women's uh, group uh, was led by a young lady named Justice Carlton, a 6'1 forward from Katy. Uh, over at Seven Lakes, uh, Seven Lakes, she was ranked the number seven recruit in the country. Averaged, listen to this in high school, twenty five points a game and ten rebounds a game. 
Yeah. Very not, physical not player. Very not, physical player. Yeah, she uh, she scored forty six points in one game this year or I, last year. I, guess. I like I like the five uh, five nine guard they signed out of Georgia. I think she's a combo guard. I think she. I actually watched some YouTube on all the women's basketball signings this morning. I think the five nine guard out of Georgia is a really good combo guard as well. Gotcha. A women's soccer who won the Big Twelve championship. Uh, I think it was last week or or over the weekend. Uh, they also uh, had a very good recruiting class as well. Uh, Angela Kelly trying to get some consistency in that program that has been last uh, uh, lacking, uh, so to speak, uh, as it as it were. Uh, women's volleyball lost last night, I think, at Kansas State, by the way, uh, which was a little bit surprising. But uh, early season loss, uh, we'll see how that uh, portends later in the year. Uh, football, though, is is the main topic here, as we always say, uh, yeah. Jerry and, and Blake and. Uh, you know, they're, they're staying. Oh, wow. UT Dallas. Congratulations, Zane. Congrats, Zane. Yeah. Um, we look at it, uh, Jerry and, and Blake, uh, and talk about this game against TCU. And one of the factors here that I think people are, are not necessarily mentioning enough uh, is the fact that a lot of these Texas players have a really bad taste in their mouth uh, about this game a year ago. Yeah, and they had a lot. They could have ended up going to the Big 12 championship a year ago. Texas could have if they could have made it through TCU. But they didn't. They got stymied and, and beat from the outset pretty much uh, by a superior TCU team, in my opinion. Uh, so there's no harm in that. But I, I just think that hearing from some of the guys uh, that we've heard from this week, I think that they kind of care about this TCU game a little bit because they want to they want to flip the script. Uh, you, you agree with that, Jerry? Yeah, I do. And again, I, I totally agree with that. And again, this season's lined up so well for Sark from a coaching standpoint, right? You know, we just go through the season real quick. Rice didn't play well as physical and offensive lines need to. That's perfect going into Bama. Um, you know, you come home, didn't play as great as you need to against Wyoming. That's great moving on, right? I mean, so didn't come out with that same intensity. That's great coaching week. Um, and we've said this kind of all along. And this week's another great coaching week for Sark because they won 33-30 in overtime. And we've been through that. We don't need to rehash all of it. But there was a lot of coaching points this week. And then you're playing an opponent that you could arguably say somewhat laid an egg against last year, at least for part of that game. So it's not hard to motivate the Texas team right now. Look, if this team – I don't think there needs there to, you don't have to put anything on the walls in the locker anything like that. This Texas team knows exactly what's in front of them. They know TCU was uh, played for a national championship last year, and they did not play well against them in that game. And they want to not they want a shot at it right now. And they know going into TCU, it's the last time they're going to play TCU. I'm not sure it's going to be a hostile environment. It's a, it's not a big stadium, and I'm sure Texas fans have bought a few thousand tickets. So. I'm not sure it's that, but it's a night game, a lot of pressure. You're ranked seven in the country, everything on the line. Uh, it's great coaching week for Sark because he won. They didn't play. Again, like Sark keeps saying, we haven't played close to our best football. It's always great to coach when you haven't played uh, close to your best football because once you play your best football, that message becomes a little tougher. I, I will. I, I would put a caveat on something that Jerry just said. I don't think the season is always set up for Texas perfectly. Uh, the Houston game comes to mind. Um, and the reason I say that is because they had to wait two weeks to play it, right? And Houston also got two extra days to prepare, et cetera. 
Um, and then you you have the, the one thing that I would say that in hindsight was a true blessing was having Malik Murphy start against BYU as yes. opposed to his first start being against Kansas State. Yes. That really set up well because what, you know, he couldn't have, he's had some issues, okay, but he's, he's been also had some positives. The the reality of it, if, if he would have been thrown in against Kansas State in his first start against instead of BYU, that definitely could have looked differently. Yeah. Um, and so there have been, to Jerry's point, there's been some fortuitousness, uh, I guess, for Texas in, in the schedule regard and how, how the, the coaches have done that. The only time I felt like the schedule went against Texas was that two week after the OU loss because they did they needed to get they needed to get right back on the saddle and they they had to wait two weeks. I mean, we could feel that as fans. Right. That that I mean, you just look. They needed to play another game, and they had to wait. And that that wasn't what that team needed. They needed to go back and refocus asap uh, and clean some things up. And they didn't have the opportunity to do that. Hey guys, before we get going into questions and uh, more discussion, I want to say thank you to our sponsor. Uh, each and every Thursday, coffee and football. Brought to you by the folks at Texas Road LLC. Uh, if you are looking uh, for a, a company that does nothing but hardcore road projects uh, and uh, can do it from a commercial level, I mean, really high-end stuff, uh, visit the guys at TexasRD.com. Rick Vavro and his team provide excellent service. Uh, they are all about client relationships. One of the things that they try to do is make sure you understand everything that's going on before, during, and after their uh, work. Uh, but Rick is a big-time Texas fan, Texas grad. Uh, his A lot of guys that work for him and work with him, his partner, I know, big Texas fan as well. So uh, thanks to Rick and his team uh, for their sponsorship of Thursday morning's Coffee and Football. All right, guys. Well, before we move on to questions, one other thing I want to touch on, Jerry, I know you're on the road currently in Louisiana. Tell us yeah. a little bit about what people uh, want to hear about recruiting. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was stopped by Westgate High yesterday uh, down in New Iberia where Derek Williams uh, played, obviously. Uh, Jabari Antoine, uh, top 2025 prospect for Texas at defensive back. He's out uh, for with a broken collarbone, suffered about midway through the season. He could come back. If Westgate keeps winning in the playoffs, they play a uh, terrible uh, a Friday night in the first round. Uh, but I think Texas is in as good a position as anybody for Antoine. Uh, you know, he's interesting, man. He's a 6'2", 6'2". He's growing. Uh, defensive back corner, kind of jack of all trades, kind of like Derek Williams was for Westgate, smaller school. You have to be. Um, his father's 6'8". So a couple of uncles are 6'4". So how big is he going to get? How tall is he going to get is going to be the question. There, but Blake Gideon, Terry Joseph, uh, staying in contact with Coach Antoine. It's not his son, Coach Antoine, who played defensive back at Louisiana Tech, knows his DBs, uh, the head coach at Westgate. So, uh, Terry Joseph, Blake Gideon, doing a good job there. You know, actually, I learned there yesterday that uh, in the Texas off week, uh, Texas staff members, including Bo Davis, stopped by the school. And they, uh, Bo has talked to Demarion Johnson, the D lineman committed to LSU, 6'2 and a half, about 285. So Texas is keeping that line of communication open. I think that would be a tough one for Texas. He picked LSU over Texas at the time, but he grew up an LSU fan. That's where he's always wanted to be. And that's kind of the thing I put out in Inside Texas. And what we're hearing from the road 
is that the same thing I heard about Derek Williams early on, I heard about Jabari Antoine yesterday, not an LSU kid growing up. That's important when you recruit in the state of Louisiana. That means those kids aren't just locks or it's going to take something major uh, to pull those kids out of LSU, out of Louisiana. So uh, Demire and Johnson might be a little bit tougher uh, of, an, of a grab there for Texas, but they're staying in contact with them. Look, I mean, this staff recruits through the whistle. See what happens. Uh, and, and I like that they're going back and evaluating these guys on senior tape and and sticking with it and uh, see if there's some guys they really like they want to make a run at. Uh, somebody asked about Keelan Moses. I'm in Baton Rouge. Uh, Texas is recruiting Keelan Moses. I'm not sure how aggressively, but they are recruiting him. All right. Well, we have a super chat we need to get to, guys, right here on Coffee and Football presented by Texas Road. And plenty of time to get your questions in, so please do so. This from Jay Lee. Thank you, Jay. He says, we have heard about the Texas edge position for so long. Does A&M's nation leading sack numbers prove that sacks don't necessarily lead to great defense or wins? No, I think that's, I, I think, I think that's just a uh, look. I mean, Jimbo can't coach. Right. Would you, would you, <laughs> yes. I mean, would you rather, would you rather have uh, Alabama, Clemson and Georgia talent? I mean, it, it, that's, that's kind of thing. A&M has so many defensive linemen, but their back end has struggled a lot. Their offense line has struggled a lot. They're probably on QB three this week against a really good defensive coach. Um, so no, I would obviously I'd rather I'd rather have AM sacks this year. I guarantee you that on Texas team. Oh well, yeah. I mean that that's I mean, look, here's the issue is that they don't tie it together. That you can be great, like it's like it reminds me a little bit of those old Texas Tech teams that can throw the ball around but would end up seven and five. They'd have 700 yards passing and be seven and five. Yeah. Who cares? You know, if you have 35 sacks and guess what? You can't, you turn the ball over and can't block anybody and your back end is disconnected. And it's not like the SEC has great quarterbacks, by the way. So putting that out there, they have decent ones. I mean, I'm not saying that big 12 has better, but there's nobody in the SEC right now at quarterback that you just look at and go, Oh, he's, he's one, one. Yeah. You know, um, Jimbo's issue is, is that he, he can't, seem to get everybody on the same page. He's already went through a situation where he had to hire his own offensive coordinator. Now he's had to change defensive coordinators. It looks like he's going to have to change them again, even though they're doing all this stuff with sacks. And just gave up 38 to, to Ole Miss. Yeah. I mean, look, look, they, you would think, and this is true, I think that A&M has as much talent on the front line as defense. on defense right defense. now. Yeah. yeah. Bama yeah. gives up, what, 10 to Ole Miss? Look, look, I talked to an SEC coach that said A&M has the best D-line in the conference by far. Now, they don't have – their corners have are injured, kicked off, issues, no depth. Uh, they've had – they've had, their offensive line is – I mean, Father is just not playing this year, which makes you wonder if he's going to be there next year. Um, I mean, they're freshman right tackle. Bobby's talked about they're trying to push this, and he's probably a guard. It's causing some issues. They can't keep their quarterbacks upright and healthy. Uh, Le'Veon Moss, I think, is out for the year. Best running one. They got – I mean, they, hey, by the way, Saturday's a huge game. Huge game for Jimbo Fisher. 
He can't loses lose that. They can't lose bring to Mississippi State. Boy, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> he loses to Mississippi State. He's uh, is he the worst in the in the SEC West? Yeah, guys will start cleaning out offices if they lose Saturday. Yeah, makes sense, Jerry. They'll stop recruiting. All right, guys. Well, another coach that we have a lot of questions on today is uh, the defensive coordinator, PK. And I know there was an update. Oh, we talked about it yesterday, first off, and then an update this morning over on Inside Texas. But we're going to take a couple of these questions. This first one from Captain Americano. He says, if PK were to decide to take the USD job, who would be your top candidates to replace him at Texas? Not necessarily who would replace him, but who are y'all's top candidates? So here, here's where I'm a little bit different. Uh, first of all, Eric Nalin uh, of Inside Texas reported that he's unlikely to entertain US, USC. USC may come calling, but PK's not a job hopper. That's And let's be clear as well. I know several assistants that chose Texas. Tashard Choice is one of them, by the way, that chose Texas over USC after actually accepting a job elsewhere. Um, and so uh, USC is a difficult job in college football because it costs so much to live there and you can't live anywhere around it unless you want to live in an apartment. I mean, just, it's very difficult. And, and so a lot of coaches don't want to commute 45 minutes into, into, into work. You know, they're already working hundred hour weeks, right, Jerry? You've no. heard, I mean, Jerry and I are saying, we, we talked to these coaches, they'd rather work at, I mean, frankly, they'd, they'd rather work at Arizona State where it's a big city and it's five minutes to get to work. And they can just practice. I mean, not, I'm not saying you don't take USC over Arizona State. My point being, that big a city can be a liability uh, is, is the point that I would make. Um, uh, the other thing I would say about it is who would they necessarily hire? Th this is where I'm going to be a little bit different. Uh, I think that who you would hire in the Big 12 is who is different than who you would hire in the in the SEC. No question. Um, and you're going into a big conference. Somebody like Jim Leonard, uh, at, who was at uh, Wisconsin, would be a guy. Uh, Gary Patterson would obviously come to my mind if he'd be willing to take a coordinator's role. Uh, that would be an interesting one. Uh, you know, those are the two that come top of mind for me. There may be others. Uh, I mentioned the Iowa and Iowa State guys for sure, I think would be good uh, elsewhere. But uh, Jerry, your, your thoughts? I, I think uh, a couple things. Um, I think one, I think Lincoln Riley's going to have issues uh, other, uh, other than just paying somebody a lot of money because they're going to ask, how long are you going to be here? What's your plans? You're flirting with the NFL. Well, am I going to uproot a decent or good situation I have now? So which lead, would lead you to the path where is there a head coach that's going to get fired that's a defensive mind, different question, or an up-and-coming guy? Um, I, yeah, I, I just don't I, – I don't see PK going that route. But I will say this, if PK left Texas, it would be fine. I mean, this is a different job than it was three years ago. I agree with that. I mean, you got people have to remember, Sark went the Muschamp first, Barry Odom second, somebody else. So – it's a different job than it was three years ago. All right, guys. This next question here also has to do with PK uh, from Bill Bowden. He says, I know PK may not have any interest in SC. Can any hire expect to have success on defense in the Big Ten, knowing that Lincoln Riley's offense is a not complimentary football? I mean, that's a great point, Bill Bowden. Uh, I mean, great point. It's uh, – um, 
I, I think there's issues there. I think there's issues there as well, Bobby. I just, uh, you know, I, I think I think Lincoln's got a tough a, t- a tough deal in front of him unless they just money whip somebody. I don't know that he's – to your point, I don't know that he's going to be there. That's the whole thing. And how do you how do you even – they're talking about hiring a defensive coordinator. Let's find out if he wants to go to the Bears first. Yeah. You know, that needs to get, get passed down. Um, I do think that – we talked about this yesterday, Jerry. Has there ever been a spread head coach, in your opinion, that played good defense? I mean, we Kingsbury, hell no. No. Um, Lincoln Riley, hell no. No. Um, you know, I, that would be my question. Like name me somebody that played good deep. Now Bob Stoops did, but he was a defensive coach at the start. And right. that's a different, that's a, maybe it's an offensive head coach is the kind of the question there. Right. Yeah, I mean, Mike Leach, he had some good defenses actually at, uh, at Mississippi state, but was that endemic to the talent around him? Uh, I, they don't have that kind of talent on defense in LA that they do in the, the deep South. K- they, Casey brought up urban Meyer. That's more spread option. He's not, but he's not a, he's yeah. not a, he's a power spread. Yeah. Power spread. I mean, come on. I mean, we're talking about guys that throw it around the yard uh, for fun. Mike Leach type guys. All right, guys, this next question has to do with more off-the-field roles, uh, and it's from Bob. I'm sorry, it's from Krausen ITA, and he's from Monterey, Mexico. Hello, Krausen, and he says, can you discuss what analysts can do and can't do? Yeah, I, I can do that. First of all, Monterey, Mexico, if you haven't been before, uh, gorgeous city. Um, all right, hey, uh, uh, and surrounding area. Uh, long, long story short, what they can do is help with game day prep, practice, monitoring players, all of this stuff. They cannot be on the headset during the game. So they can't have be only a certain number of players. Uh, coaches can have headset. They cannot go on the road and recruit. And outside of that, Jerry, they cannot coach on the field Correct. during practice beyond just helping supervise and getting people going. So they can throw the passes. They can set the ball for scrimmage, but they can't actually be giving – like what you would consider on-field instruction. That that's it's it is I will for for it is somewhat nebulous in my opinion the rules about how it all fits. But the big ones are can't wear headsets on game day, can't yeah. recruit uh, and go on the road. Yeah, I mean that's the, the main thing. People remember the Alabama game last year. Gary Patterson would walk down uh, and look at the Alabama offense uh, from behind. And kind of watch them, and then he'd walk back, and, and and he would say something to somebody, but he couldn't have a headset on. He couldn't literally, to Bobby's point, he couldn't call, make he couldn't call make those calls through a headset. He couldn't re- deliver information on a headset. That's against NCAA rules. Uh, I don't know what Michigan's been doing, but that's against NCAA rules. Um, but that's what Gary did last year a lot of times. If if you if you watched him closely during games, and. This question will kind of tie into this previous one from Gary Smallwood. He says, who goes over coaching points with Sark regarding questionable play calling and game management? Uh, uh, who, who, who is his, who is his, uh, who's his consigliere, right? That's the question. And I don't know that he has one. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think Milwee certainly gets a voice. Uh, I think Kyle Flood does to a degree. 
they all get in there and talk about it, but I don't know that he has a, a, a guy that's like a right-hand guy other than Milwee. Yeah. And he certainly doesn't on defense. That's more, that's more PK. I will say this, Joe D. Camillus has taken yes. on an interesting role yes. uh, at the end of the game. He's the uh, assistant special teams coach. That's kind of a former long-term NFL special teams guy. He's he's working at Texas as a part-time assistant or as a uh, you know analyst this year. He's taken on a role of game time management in the fourth uh, at the end of halves. Uh, you'll see him sometimes standing right next to uh, Sark on the sideline yeah. when there's three four minutes left in the half and below. He's taken on that role, uh, but I don't know. This is a fair question. I don't know that Sark has that guy that he leans on from a like a, a second in command type situation that can that can kind of gently push ideas and see what Sark really thinks and get him to think about it a new way. I don't know that he has that guy. Uh, so Billy Hoyle, that was funny. It made me laugh. Laugh said so Lowell Galindo's on Monday nights. He's talking about rewind. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's a good good job. Well done. <laughs> All right, well, it's time for everybody's favorite portion of the day, guys. Manscaped. Jerry, let them know about it. Look, look, man. I got my Manscaped. I'm wearing my bird dog shorts. I got my lawnmower on the road in Louisiana now. If you think I didn't, you were wrong. Somebody was commenting. It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's a ball trimmer sent from space now. Gentlemen, our, our friends over at Manscaped have been working night and day to bring you a below-the-waist grooming experience like none other, with their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. We're talking about a next generation trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. Uh, and I know you guys in the comments section have a mind. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultra Sphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping code on Texas, all caps. High tech or low places, Manscaped. Dot com. Yeah, every man knows how scary it can get when going for a close shave below the belt. Now, everybody knows I'm talking about. That's why I trust Manscaped for all my sensitive areas. Manscaped.com on Texas, all caps. You're a pro. I'm just going to tell you, Jerry. Jerry is a soldier. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry is a honest soldier. Good one. Uh, <laughs> Hey, um, I don't even know how to. I don't even know how to take that to go somewhere else, guys. Y'all, y'all, somebody else talk, please. Okay, we're gonna go to the next question, guys. Oh, the comments are killing me. I love it. Oh, it's my favorite portion when the comments come in on that. All right, here we go. This is a question from Football Texas for Bobby and Jerry, the ball gardener Hamilton. Do our coaches take along some of our greats to visits? Visit this late in the process. For example, Vince Young to a QB recruit. That's what yeah. they can't. Yeah, they can't do that. Yeah, uh, they can, you can meet them when they're on campus. That's right. Uh, as part of the regular process of like VY still is a uh, part-time employee of the university, uh, and so uh, I, at least I think he is. So you can meet them on campus, etc. But you can't take them on recruiting visits with you. All right, and this next question, guys, um, is from Nathan. He says, do you think that Sark will evaluate his coaching staff even if the always. team needs to win? Always. I, I think these guys always are. Um, I, I think the one thing that 
so many of these guard, got coaches guard against um, is getting complacent. You have to. You have to. You have uh, to. Look, we can say what we want right now, but the the if you had to che- if you had to say what are the two big things that you're worried about with Texas outside of the quarterback situation with with Quinn, which is I would be worried about the secondary right now and red zone offense. Okay. Whose who's responsibility is red zone offense? Steve Sarkeesian's, right? Wh- whose responsibility is the secondary? Well, you know it's PK's, but the defense overall seems to be playing well. So if you're going to go and look at that, that, that may be a piece uh, to, to look at. I'm not saying anybody there is under, you know, some kind of, you know, firing line. But I, I think that Sark will try to do an honest appraisal of that and try to figure out why they can't cover crossing routes. You know, what's happening there that whatever they say is not getting going forward to the next per, to the to the players and, and being communicated in the right way. There are I love how Rod Babers calls it, Jerry and, and Blake. He calls Texas a good team, but a flawed team. Exactly. You can both. It doesn't have to be you're only good or you're only great. There can be shades of gray. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what Steve Sarkeesian is going to work on in the offseason. I I, uh, I went over this uh, and talked about it. Think about PK, okay? In his, in his very first press conference this year, Jerry, uh, he came out and said, I want to improve in, th- in four things. Third and fourth down, money downs. Yeah. Red zone, turnovers, and getting people on the ground. Okay, I want to give you y'all a stat. I want to give y'all a stat real quick. Those four things, right? So third down currently, Texas is number two in the country on defense on third downs. Twenty six opponents only making twenty six percent on third down. Okay, that's amazing. Number two in the country. Okay, red zone defense. Where do y'all think Texas ranks? Uh, They're top fifteen. Number two in the country. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, sacks, they're at 31 in the country with 23. But that 23, they've still got three regular season games left, and they've got a bowl game, if not two games left after that, right? They're at 31 right now with 23. Last year, all last year, they had 27. So they're going to get – they'll probably be in the 30 range, right, Jerry? Okay, so that's, that's improvement. Turnovers, they're number 30 in the country right now. And so PK, if I'm really looking and evaluating a person's defense in this next maturation, I mean, he's done basically all he set out to do. Uh, he needs to get better on, on the mesh routes and certain plays. But overall, the Texas defense has not been the major issue. I, I think the one thing going into the season, they knew where their strengths are. And and the, the big credit uh, I give uh, PK is he's played to his strengths. He hasn't, he hasn't tried to be something he's not. And I give coaches credit when they, you know, they're not trying to be something they're not. They understand what the strengths are of their defense and they play to those strengths. Fair. I guys, we got a couple more uh, coaching questions, I guess you could say. Bobby Brown says, who's in the box for Sark on the offensive side? Does he have much pull? It seems Sark is a genius at times and then dumb on others. I think all coaches are that way. I really do. I mean, I think people, and I'm not trying to be rude to to coaches, but it's just human. I, I'm smart sometimes and really dumb others. 
I mean, Jerry's smart sometimes and really dumb at others. I mean, all of us. Yeah. And expecting, you know, perfection. I guess when you pay somebody $5 million a year, you kind of expect perfection. And about, <laughs> and about to be eight, probably. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> fair. Okay. Um, uh, who's in the box for him, Jerry? Uh, Chris Jackson. I put that – there's a – I put the weekend live thread up already on Inside Texas. Get over there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's the weekend live thread, Texas at TCU. I, I put it up early Thursday morning. Hey, the games are bigger. I'm also on the road. But I post in there every week uh, on the field and in the booth. And in the booth on offense is Chris Jackson. In the booth on defense is Blake Gideon. Every other coach is on the field this season. Uh, so just so people know. Uh, that's so PK moved down to the field this season. AJ Milwe moved down to the field this season. So he could talk one-on-one -on -one with the quarterbacks after every possession because Sark's a head coach and obviously can't do that. Uh, this comment here from Christopher Lyons uh, says, never really thought of how much a head coach actually has to do a lot more than people realize. There's so much stress and pressure respects to Sark. But my question to you guys yeah. is, do you feel like a coach at Texas has even more to do than most places, especially when you factor in, of course, the Longhorn Network's going away, but all the other responsibilities that come with it? I think it's no different than any other blue blood. I think the Longhorn Network has added to it. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think when you take these jobs, you are a CEO. I mean, you are, that's what made, to me made Matt Brown so great is he is a great CEO, also a great recruiter, as good as we've ever seen. Um, but I think that's the thing. It's understated, and I'm glad somebody brought this up. Think about how Bob, Bobby can speak to this, too. Think about how much these staffs have expanded in the last 10 years due to Nick Saban. I mean, everybody's trying to copy the guy that's been the best ever to do this. What did he do? He brought in. More analysts, more in-house recruiting staff, uh, a scouting department like we hadn't seen. And every it's a copycat sport. What's everybody done? Tried to catch up with Nick so he doesn't have a big advantage in their eyes. So think about how much more you have to manage now, Bobby, than even when Mac was the head coach at Texas. Mac didn't have an in-house recruiting staff until the last couple of years. And it, it was way too late. His son-in-law um, was the recruiting coordinator at one point. I know. So, look, <laughs> um, or not, he didn't have the title, but he, he was effectively that. Uh, so my my thought on it um, is this. Um, I, from my talk with uh, multiple college coaches, and this goes, I mean, I'm not just talking about Texas, but and this goes back to head coaches at Notre Dame and uh Alabama, Florida, Georgia, USC, and, and their assistants. Okay. It's when you go to Texas, it is fundamentally different than Houston. Yeah. It is fundamentally different than Kansas. Okay. You have to deal with things that you don't even think. I mean, look, Texas, if, if people would let him, I guarantee you, Steve Sarkeesian would have to do 50 individual interviews a week of major national media because people would be asking him. Okay. Lance Leipold gets one call a week to go interview with somebody because there's just not that, even though Kansas is a good team this year and, and he's a wonderful coach, there's not the appetite. I mean, I guarantee you there's not a thousand people on a Kansas video right now talking about Texas football. It, it, it's the weight of the Texas program. Um, and that 
there are not that many teams or programs like it. I mean, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State to a degree. Uh, those are the teams that uh, carry the same weight. And, and that means that there are more demands out of their head coach that are media, that are former players that expect to be talked to when they call. Um, I, I, I could go on and on with, you know, with ideas or thoughts about this and, and demands of their time that are completely off the field of play. Uh, and so that is why, to Jerry's point, Nick Saban did an amazing job of saying, OK, I know I have to do some of that, so I'm going to have other people do what I used to do mm -hmm. and take that over. And so, uh, look, I, there is an enormous amount of pull for them. I, they have to go talk to the Houston, Texas Xs, the Dallas Texas Xs. You think Lance Leipold talked to the Austin, Texas Xs when he came to town? I mean, it just doesn't happen that way. Now, th thankfully, they've limited that to offseason now for, for coaches, but uh, that, that kind of stuff's tough and uh, a big uh, request. All right, y'all, we got a couple of super chats we need to get to. This first one from 12chip23, who I believe is UT boy. And he says, good morning, family. Hook them. Good morning to good you. Morning. And then uh, Ben Burgess here, and this is a two-parter, so bear with me. He says, sitting with my dad in the hospital, recovering from colon cancer surgery. Thank you guys for a wonderful distraction. We both want to know, what is your confidence level from 1 to 10 that Texas wins out if Bobby wins is over there? I'm, I'm higher than Bobby, so I'll let Bobby go first. <laughs> uh, if I knew... If if I knew that Quinn was playing this week, that means he's enough on the men that he's definitely playing Iowa State, definitely playing um, uh, Texas Tech, right, Jerry? Yes. If he was, if I definitely knew he was playing, I would put it somewhere between a seven and an eight. Until I definitely know he's playing, I put it at a six. Texas is double digit favorite right now over TCU. Um, but I, I tell you, if and I wrote this on Inside Texas this morning, guys. If we know for a fact that Malik Murphy's going to start, we know there's two turnovers coming, at least. And I'm not, and I'm not picking on Malik. People are like, "Oh, you're picking on no." I mean, if if Quinn Ewers were a freshman a year ago, how many how many turnovers did he have in his second and third game against good quality competition? I mean, he went out. I think his third game was Oklahoma State, right or fourth. You know, I so my point is that's the man that is so key, uh, knowing when that quarterback is coming back because I think he's the he's the straw that stirs the drink and and he's been protective, relatively speaking, of the ball, even if he's not a great passer sometimes or doesn't find the second guy, etc. He protects the ball and lets Texas at least play defense. Um, I have it as a nine. Woo! Wow, Jerry. I like it. Now, I mean, look, I do not, I don't wake up every morning and do this read without uh, jumping out there. So I'm going with a nine. Okay. I'm going with a nine. And, and, and I think if they can get through this week in which TCU is not a great team, uh, it's going to be Super Bowl Saturday, but they are a pass first team. Uh, and that's who has uh, given Texas some issues. But if they get through this one this week, uh, because the one thing about it, guys, I think they're getting healthier at the right time. 
Now, they could go have some injuries this weekend. It's football. People get hurt and lose in November. We know it. If they get through this weekend, I might bump it to nine and a half. Wow, Jerry. I, see, I think that they get through this weekend. I'm easy to bump it because there's only two games left as opposed to three. <laughs> but 90% out of the game right now, that's a lot. Yeah, I'm in. Oh, man. It sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ben, thank you for the super chat and best wishes to both you and your dad. Hey, no doubt. Uh, we'll be thinking about you, man. For sure. All right, guys. This next question here uh, is from Ryan from Shiner. He says, has there ever been an official announcement on what the Longhorn Network Great becomes question. after this year? Is it going to be the SEC West Network? Do you all know anything about that? Um, my understanding from talking to Chris Del Conte, the athletic director at Texas, is that it would just be folded into part of the SEC Network. They have not talked about to my knowledge, there being an SEC West versus an East network, et cetera. But that has been my understanding that it's just going to be folded into uh, the SEC uh, as a whole. We have a super chat from Brent Yormark. <laughs> if that isn't our producer, Matt, I'd be shocked. Uh, <laughs> and Brett says, good morning, guys, and hook them. Hey, hey, Brett, huge basketball win the other night for you. Baylor beats Auburn out of the gate. I mean, congrats to your basketball conference. That was a big win. I'll give you that. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Go back. I, here's what I he, – he, he, you sure it doesn't say Lubbock next to his name somewhere? <laughs> You guys are – look, I mean, this whole thing with the, the Big 12 is all fun and games until Xavier Worthy doesn't get called pass interference on. Yeah. Until Ryan Watts gets called for a late hit out of bounds that was eh. – until somebody doesn't call holding against Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat for an entire year. Yeah. It's all fun and games until that starts happening, right? And that's and – And I've said before, just wait until basketball road. Oh, and, and he's got – you know, what he did by saying all he said, he gives those people carte blanche to act whatever they want to do and not have any repercussions against them next year. Yeah. Hey, remember, he's a basketball guy. Remember I told you guys this. Watch what happens in basketball road games this year. It's going to be interesting. All right, this next one is from Fresh 6473. And, Jerry, I'll let you take the basketball. I'll take the baseball part of it. The move to the SEC – uh, is enhancing recruiting in football, but will it also enhance the recruiting in baseball, men and women's basketball, and softball? And Jerry, I'll let you go first. I think it's two part. Basket, women's basketball, yes. I mean, South Carolina, really good uh, conference. Tennessee, traditionally a power. LSU, I mean, I can't believe they got blown out by Colorado. You know, yes, I do follow it a little bit. Um, but Mulkey's going to have have the best roster going for the next decade. Huge in basketball. I, I really believe that men's basketball is more interesting because you're leaving what's going to be the dominant conference in college basketball. And SEC is a very good conference. I don't think it hurts Texas, but I will say it'll be interesting to see long term what it does if you're recruiting a couple of kids in Texas and Arizona it being in the Big 12 and ba Baylor is who you're battling on Kansas. You're battling all these Big 12 teams there in basketball. It, it, that's going to be interesting for, for me to follow a little bit. But Texas is so reliant on out-of-state and basketball. I mean, you may have one in-state guy to four kids in a class. Let me ask you this, Jerry, about basketball, because I've done some thinking about this. Yeah, they're going to try to go get Gonzaga to be part of their basketball conference or whatever. But, I mean, are they really that good? 
Oh, yeah. No, let me say this. Okay, Baylor with Scott Drew has some length of time ahead of him. Right. right? He, he's a young enough guy. or I know he's old now, but he's he's got some more time ahead of him. Kansas is always going to be Kansas. Okay. After those two, Oklahoma State is hit or miss on basketball. Houston has been a great basketball program, but only when Kelvin Sampson and Guy yeah. Lewis were there. Yeah. Okay. So Kelvin Sampson's close to the end of his career. Right. I mean, are they really that good a basketball conference? I mean, in my opinion, I don't know that they are. They are right now. But other than Kansas, there's not a blue blood. Baylor's trying to become one. I mean, Arizona technically is. Okay, yes, that's fair. Arizona, of the new four yeah. four corner schools, Arizona. I, I think what makes it a great basketball call is Cincinnati is a very comp- better basketball than football, right? Um, I think it's going to help a UCF in basketball. So I think, I think it's going to help some, I think it's going to help a Houston. So when Kellen Sampson takes over for Kelvin, that's going to keep U of H going. And for Tita's uh, very invested there in basketball, obviously he's the owner of the Rockets as well. I think it's going to be a great basketball conference. Again, can he pull Gonzaga and Villanova? Can he make those final connections there? Uh, But Blake baseball, I think it's huge at baseball. I mean, the SEC dominates baseball, college baseball. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm 100% on board. I think it already has helped because in the past few years, the narrative has been, oh, David Pierce can't recruit because he gets recruiting classes, you know, ranked 15 to 30, even up to 40. Yesterday, he signed the number three class in the nation. And so I'm going to kind of use this question, did from Dennis Henry, any baseball signings. Um, They signed five pitchers yesterday, which is the main thing, four right-handed ones and one left-handed one. Uh, two catchers and then a few key infielders and I believe two outfielders. So I think it, I think the move is already helping and it will only continue to help as well. All right, guys, well, I need to tell everybody about prize picks and prize picks is a skill-based real money daily fantasy sports game. You simply pick between two to six players and if they'll go more or less than their prize picks projection, it's just you versus the projections available instead of battling thousands of other players. It's really simple to play. It takes almost no time. I make my pick, submit my entry less than 60 seconds, and it adds a ton of excitement to the sports viewing experience. You can watch your progress update in real time. You can win up to 25 times your entry amount, and you can cash out your winnings with quick withdrawals. Tonight, I'm going to jump in on some NBA action. I'm taking former five-star Longhorn Miles Turner to go over 16 points and former OU star Trey Young to go under 24 points. So go to prizepicks.com slash on Texas, use promo code on Texas, and they'll give you a first deposit match of up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash on Texas, promo code on Texas. Take advantage of that first deposit match of up to $100. And that's PrizePix, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hey, hey, last thing I want to say that makes SEC bat move bat in basketball great, Chris Beard and Rick Barnes coach in Austin. Yeah, good point. Yeah, Chris, Chris hey, Beard coaching his first game in Austin will be interesting. Hey, Blake, I had to ask you that. Uh, what are they saying about what are the prize picks people, those kind of people talking about with uh, the Wimbanyaya guy from San Antonio? Like, are they saying five blocks a game? I mean, what is. Yeah, so and it's it's set up to where you can do that. Yeah, you can do like blocks, you can do points. Uh, you know, whatever it may be. But when, when I mean, from the get-go, Wimby's numbers were a lot higher. Than, you know, even on that very first night, his numbers were a lot higher than other players at that position. Um, and, of course, you know, it is a projection, obviously, like I like I just read. But 
uh, yeah, I mean, Wimby, I've done well with Wimby, I guess you could say, so far this, so far this season. I got you. All right. That price fix is interesting. Uh, you get up 100 bucks back. So, or, right. or 100 uh, deposit match. Can't beat that. I guess we got a super chat here we need to get to. This one from Johnny Epps. He says, I feel like we should utilize the slot wide receiver more. Worthy and Mitchell are amazing, but seeing Jay Witt run in motion and not touch the ball is getting old. What do y'all yeah. think? I think it's interesting because I think Sark is uh, – I think Sark's doing a great job with only one football to go around when you have a tight end that's up for the Mackey Award and it's a big-time downfield receiving threat. So if you look at it, Jordan Whittington is fourth – the fourth option in the passing game to start, right? I think what'll be interesting next year, though, I think that's going to change a little bit, guys. If you if 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 we all go on the assumption that Worthy, Mitchell, and Sanders are gone, Texas loves the young slot receivers in the in in this program, and they're different players than Whittington. Whittington, at his strength, at his core strength, core strength, he's a great blocker. He's opportunistic in the passing game. He's not a guy who you're going to lean on to make big plays. You're going to scheme up to make big plays in the passing game. Texas, those guys next year are better natural receivers down the field than uh, Jordan Whittington is. Now they got to do all the things in the blocking game. I think it's going to be a much different look next year, Bobby, at that position. I've got a question for for you and Blake and, and really everybody to think about there. Is Jordan Whittington's lack of uh, catches, is it in part due to the offense at some level? I don't see, other than RPOs, how many passes over the middle do we really see from Texas? Yeah. I mean, whether it's Quinn or Malik, you don't see, like Malik came came off of Jonte Cook on that one ball and hit Jordan uh, Whittington on a crosser. I don't really see that very often from Quinn. Um, and so I don't know, you know, I don't know whether because of how good Mitchell and Worthy are at getting open. And those are typically going to be your first reads because you start outside in instead of inside out on reads a lot of times. Right. Yeah. Um, and those are the bigger play receivers. I, I just wonder why Texas doesn't use the middle of the field more other than the RPO game. Is, is it is part is it partially due to. Inside zone is your is your run game. Could be. And then you want to stretch the field vertically down the seams, down the numbers, right? I mean, it, it could be. You get my the whole point. setup of the whole offense this all, with this team this year. But will it be? Because the personnel is going to be so different next year as far as the slot receivers, they're going to have more explosive speed in a guy like Ryan Niblett at that position. So how is it going to change? But to your point, Bobby, I think it'll be interesting to see how Sark adjusts next year. I agree. He won't. He won't have a JT Sanders next year running the seam either, unless they really get somebody good in the, right. in the portal. Uh, Gunnar Helm's a good player, but uh, he's not that mismatch per se. All right, y'all. So we're going to move on to the next question here, and this is from FC Dave, and he asks: Looking ahead, what positions do we need to upgrade before moving to the SEC? I, I, I'm not sure it's upgrade as much as it is replace. Um, I think, Bobby, we could argue upgrade safety, but Derek Williams is a very talented young safety. 
Uh, Jordan Johnson-Rubel coming in, I think, is a very instinctive safety. Um, so I, I think, obviously, the depth at safety, finding the right pieces at safety to go with Derek Williams long-term. Uh, Michael Taff has another year. But I think that position, middle linebacker next year, Bobby, after Jalen Ford's gone, I think that's a bit of a chore for the Texas staff. That is Leona LaFowle big enough, Leona LaFowle big enough, um, to play that position in the SEC, or are they going to have to go look for somebody else? In, in year time? big, hey, big enough in year two, right? I think long term he's going to be big enough, but I mean he's still growing. I mean everybody, we've talked about Edge for since uh, Sark was hired, but look, look, think about Edge now. Sorrell back another year. Ethan Burke in year three is going to be scary. Where's Jamon Tap going? Looking good. Colin Simmons coming in. Anthony Hill is a with a role there in past situations that's gone from, a, Oh, well, how's this going to go to next year? We're going to be thinking, man, it's looking really good. And you have guys like Vosick who are red shirt. You don't know uh, what to expect there, but they have talent. So that position's becoming a strength. Um, obviously you have to replace a lot of talent on the defensive line, but I, I go back to this, like thinking about Sadir Mitchell, Rod and I were talking about this the other day. Um, where was Tavondre Sweat his freshman year at Texas? Where is he now? So people that are worried, I, I'm not as worried because I think Sadir Mitchell is going to make a huge jump year one to year two. Jare Bledsoe's 290 pounds. What's he going to be at 300? Right? I mean, they DeAndre Robinson, Alex Jr., they're young, but they're coming in at midterm, right? I mean, so Vernon Broughton back another year who improved a lot this year. So I think Texas has some pretty good pieces there. They're going to have to really develop those guys this spring. It's a huge spring uh, for, uh, you know, Trill Carter comes back, obviously. It's a huge spring for Dre Bledsoe and Sadir Mitchell. If those guys take big steps like they can, knowing how Bo develops these guys, then suddenly you're like, okay, we're a little better here than what we thought we were going to be at, at the end of the season, Bobby. Yeah, mine, mine uh, I'm, you mentioned middle linebacker and uh, safety. I think they have to have more speed at safety, Jerry. Yeah. That's uh, fundamentally my issue, uh, while also maintaining some size that can bring some running backs down one-on-one -on -one in the SEC, uh, who are typically heavier guys than what you see in the S uh, than what you see in the Big Twelve. Um, I, I would add middle linebacker to that list. I think that that's going to be a big gaping hole. That I, you know, I like Lafau. I like Samaje Burrell. I mean, I think there are guys there, but I mean, they're going to be young, yeah. uh, and so that's going to be a piece. Uh, but a couple of that I, that that concern me are uh, tight end because I, here's the reality of it right now. If if JT Sanders goes pro, which we fully expect, Gunnar Helm is a good blocker and a good all-around tight end. I really like him, okay? Spencer Shannon is going to be a good blocker, yes. right? Will Randall, not there. Juan Davis, not big enough, okay? Um. I feel like that's one of the, the positional weaknesses uh, because you're going to need Spencer Shannon still only a freshman. Gunnar Helm is a junior going to be about as big as he's going to be at Texas next year. Right. And it's taken, it's taken a while to put on the pounds. Uh, I, I'm not so sure they don't need a big blocking tight end and a guy that can go down the seam I, I, as at tight end right now, because yeah. almost every sec team has a tight end that can truly help in the passing game and, and as, as a pass blocker and somebody 
that gives you a little mismatch against a linebacker. So somebody brought up Washington out of Langham Creek. Yes, he's a midterm enrollee. But you know, again, young player, young player. Physicality, man. Is he going to be ready? Yeah, he plays basketball too, right? Or he did? He did. He's obviously he's a uh, December graduate, so he'll be here for spring practice. The other thing is left guard. I think there'll be a competition at left guard, and there should be. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the offensive line here. Casey says, "Do you think we will see Hayden Connor split reps with Cole Hudson, similar to how Hudson was doing with Campbell earlier in the year?" I don't know. Casey, I, I don't think we're going to see a split rep situation. I mean, they went, we're nine games into this season that three quarters of the regular season have now gone by. Um, if, if Hayden Connor has issues or something's happening or I, I could see that I would actually see, I see him probably getting more time from uh, DJ Campbell right now than I do Hayden Connor. Uh, but Steve Sarkeesian at the same time is talking about how DJ Campbell is starting to make that that uh, move a little bit after getting some experience behind him. So there's a combo here right now, guys. Uh, by um, the way, Ashton Holloman, he, he needs some credit. He brought up the uh, left guard. Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, let's so – we talked about the offensive line there. Let's talk about the defensive line or a certain player on it. Garrett Smith says, could Sadir Mitchell be what Keandre Coburn was since he was able to get consistent edge pressure next year? Yes, I, I think Sadir Mitchell has a higher ceiling. I mean, that's oh, far. Yeah, yeah, not even close. Um, Sadir Mitchell, and I'm not going to say yes to Vondre Sweat ceiling. That's not fair to a kid. Um, but Georgia thought he did. We'll see I, I think, look, Sadir Mitchell is a bonus size human. Yeah, I mean, he is exactly what you need in the SEC. He, you have to, to so. In the SEC, you have to have interior guys that eat at least two linemen and can anchor. Because if you don't have that, they will run it up your you-know-what all day, all day. Um, And so I feel like Mitchell is one of those key players for Texas next year. He has – that's one of the guys that Texas needs something out of next year. And if they don't get it, it will – it will – Texas will feel it uh, at some point in time. Okay, guys, we are going to take the super chat here from UT Boy, a.k.a. 12Chip23, and thank you again. Thoughts on Jonte next year? I think he'll have a very productive year. Um, I think uh, I, I think he can move around within the offense, and that gives him a lot of value in this scheme. They're, they're working him in, by the way. I mean, he, he saw action early against K-State, caught a pass uh, on that little RPO from – from uh, uh, Malik, so they're they're working him in more and more. Uh, I do think that he's the next guy at Texas, if you want to put it that way. Unless Texas goes out and gets a a, a freak from the portal, which is not out of the question, by the way. Absolutely, Texas is getting ready to go heavy portal, guys. They have to if they want to keep this up. All right, now let's go to the other side of the football here. Archmania says, is Terrence Brooks having a sophomore slump? He doesn't seem as sharp as he flashed last year. Man, that's there's there's some truth in that, Jerry. Um, he flashed last year in one game, by the way. Really. Maybe the last couple. Um, and against receivers that weren't necessarily 4-4 guys. I think that Terrence's issue right now is that he's not necessarily a 4-4. And 
Uh, he's not getting a ton of help from safeties because they're not 4-4 other than Derek Williams. And Derek Williams is still reading things wrong at times. So um, that that's part of it. Um, I, I think that I don't know that he's going to be ever be a true 4-4 guy. And given that he has, they're asking slightly different things of him this year. But remember, he didn't play until late last year. So he's he's still got some come up to go uh, before he he's truly a tried and true guy. I think in this scheme, he's a more natural boundary corner. Yeah. Where Ryan Watts, you're not taking him off the field right now. Right. Uh, before we move on to the next ones, guys, Bobby, I'm going to let you tell everybody about Texas Road. Yeah, absolutely. Texas Road, did, uh, the folks over there, uh, Rick Vavro and his team, uh, each and every week sponsor, Coffee and Football. We appreciate them on every Thursday. They are into the commercial road construction business. So if you need uh, heavy-duty road work uh, in and around the Austin area, they go statewide is my understanding. Uh, give Rick and his team a shout uh, go to texasrd.com. That's texasrd.com. Uh, Rick also is one of the partners of Austin Underground as well that also sponsors us here on Coffee and Football. Thank you, Rick, and your team. Uh, and uh, we'll see you probably. I don't know if you're going to the TCU game, but I'll see you probably at Texas Tech. <laughs> We've had some people asking, any chance Alfred Collins comes back next year? I don't have – I mean, I don't know on that one. We don't. I mean, literally, Jerry, we got to figure out – Byron Murphy is the one that we think is probably gone. Yeah. Um, uh, but Collins has a chance to come back. Broughton can come back. Carter, Mitchell, Aaron Bryant. There's a, there's a number of guys. All right, y'all. This next question from Daniel Ligon. And he says, with Texas having a great season, could you see any of these assistant coaches going elsewhere next year to be a head coach? And if so, who do you think it would be most likely? Um, that's a tough one to an answer. I mean, look, if a Mac job opened up and they wanted to hire young AJ Milway, does he turn down a head coaching possibility? Um, could a something happen for Tashar Choice like it did Stan Drayton? I suppose Tashar, Cho Tashar Choice won't go be an OC. His next move is either as a head coach at the D1 level or an NFL running back coach if he goes somewhere else other than Texas. I'm not saying he is, but he's not going to go be a play caller OC at the college level. That So he's going to go straight to head coach at the college. Um, the other one is Jeff Choate. Yeah. Uh, he's been Jeff a head coach before. He's been a successful head coach before. Yeah. And so what about Boise for him? Mm -hmm. You know, but they just, the thing with Boise, they just, they just attempted to go with a defensive coordinator and that, has not gone well. So I don't th think they'll go with another defensive guy there. Um, but we'll see. And, and by the way, here's the thing that it's going to be impactful. And I'm not just saying for Texas. I'm talking for a, a number of people. What if Jeff Traylor ends up at Baylor and G.J. Kinney ends up somewhere else? Then UTSA and Texas State are really good mid-major jobs that are going to be open in Texas. And who are they going to go after? That's where things get interesting to me. Okay, guys. This next question here from Miguel going back to John Tay Cook. He says, are Cook's hands legit? I'm worried about that. They've looked good so far this year. I think he had some drop issues in high school because of lack of just focus. Yeah. They've been fine this year, in my opinion. Yeah. 
And then the next question is from Zane Petty. He says, could Kobe Black step in and play what spot next year, assuming he signs with Texas or commits? I, I think he could come in and compete. He's a, he's a midterm graduate. I mean, he can, he can compete right away at that boundary corner position. Um, is he as technically advanced as Terrence Brooks or Manny Muhammad coming out of high school? No, he's at a smaller school. He plays all around. Um, you know, he's asked to do more things. So he doesn't – like Manny Muhammad came into Texas technician ready, right? Um, Terrence Brooks had been training with his dad. He was technician ready to come in and compete. I think Kobe Black has a little bit longer runway to get there, uh, but I think physically he could come in and uh, compete. I, I, I'm very interested to see what they do. We have a whole offseason and spring to talk about what they're going to do with some of these positions, but – I kind of wonder if Terrence Brooks doesn't move to the boundary next year. Well, I was going to say that. If he does that, Gavin Holmes you have for one more year. You have M Manny Muhammad as well. Yeah. That would probably be your two uh, field corners, right? And yeah. Muhammad is a more natural field corner than he is a boundary corner, but they play him a lot at boundary, I think, because it's easier for a young player. That's right. Um. So, interesting. I, 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 I've not gone into that thought process and that would leave if you if you move uh brooks to boundary corner that would put a kobe black in that category as well and they may roll him out just like they've rolled out uh you know manny muhammad this year and he's played a lot somebody keeps asking we've had some questions about byron washington the junior offensive lineman the soto texas would take a commitment today the six seven three hundred eighty eighty five ninety ninety five pounder uh, he's not a tackle he's going to be a guard um, he is, he's so big and he's so naturally strong that once somebody gets him in football, power five football playing shape, uh, because I've talked to him, he's got the intelligence. Um, if so, when somebody gets him in the power five football shape, he's going to be tough to deal with at guard. How, how good did Cam Williams look last? I mean, imagine when you first saw Cam Williams, you knew he was athletic and stuff. They have done such I mean, hats off to Tory Beckton, yeah, and his staff at Texas. Because can you name a player that doesn't look better than when they showed up on campus? No, I mean seriously, even Sadir Mitchell right now is losing some weight. Yeah, I mean, so they've done a nice job. The one in development we talk about all the time, Jerry, and I know it's a buzzword these days. Uh, but look, continuous improvement, incremental improvement. Think about Baron Sorrell, man. Yeah. Just what a difference he has created for him. An opportunity he's created for himself. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Nelson asked about, uh, which is a good one, Andre Kojo. He's he's reshaping his body. I think he's going to play at 6'6", 340. Unbelievable. Still 17. He doesn't turn 18 until right uh, January. And he's quick. He's relatively quick. For really good feet. Yep. Hey, real quick, Jerry. Uh, Brandon Posey's asked this question a couple of times. He says, what's the name of the high school wide receiver that you talked about last week that's catching 16 a game and two to 300 yards a game to Texas? Uh, uh, oh, it's the kid. It's the kid at Hutto and they play Duncanville this week. So uh, their season's probably going to end. It's Alex Green, I believe, is his name. He is um, – he is um, six foot 185. He's got every uh, Ivy League offer. He's got Stanford. He's got some of those. Rice, I think. Um, so we'll uh, 
He, Texas has not shown any interest in him, but I think he finished a regular season with 97 catches for 1,976 yards. Um, he's playing against six power five uh, DBs this week against Duncanville, but that's not the issue. The issue is going to be protecting the Texas Tech quarterback commitment, Will Hammond, long enough to get the ball to him. Yeah. Good player, though. Now, by the way, so people ask about Connor Stroh. I mean, Connor Stroh to me is – a guy to watch at guard. He's been he's been playing right guard. Um, he is he is a bigger version and in a, a, a much much more physical version of Hayden Connor. Does he move as well as Hayden Connor laterally? Hayden I, I, I think he moves okay laterally. Yeah, I think he's I think he's very similar to Hayden in that regard. Okay, just a bigger, a, a much much more physical football player. All right, y'all, this is going to be the last question for today, and it's going to be a two-parter, so bear with me. Uh, the first part of this question comes from the Inside Texas message boards from Omar. He says, how do we get out of our current cycle of having nothing but super young quarterbacks? And then I'm going to follow that question up with this one from Kevin Randolph. Any chance Texas, Texas takes a grad transfer at quarterback? Well, it'd have to be a second stringer. They're not going to. I don't think they're going to take one that fights for a starting job would be my guess. I mean, maybe I, I, I look, I think Sark has a plan at quarterback and it does include a young quarterback once every two years. That's you don't, you don't get as good as you get with guys like Arch Manning, KJ Lacey, uh, Quinn Ewers, unless you have a plan similar to that. And every so often you get a Trey Owens who you can incubate and bring up. Uh, so I don't I don't think you're going to see anything other than that. And and nor do I think you should. Uh, that That's what Sark's made hay on this whole time, guys. I mean, look, we want what he did at Alabama on offense. Right. Categorically. Keep after it. Go for it, buddy. That That's what I'm you know, that that's at receiver. That's at running back. That's at tight end. That's at quarterback. All of those positions. They did a phenomenal job. Go try to achieve that. And don't take your eye off the prize. He's got a good eye. I think quarterback is not the position I think Texas needs to worry about with Steve Sarkeesian. By the way, I want to say this. What's so interesting for Sark is he's he had never started a tr true freshman or redshirt freshman at quarterback in, in his career until Quinn. Okay? This is no longer a sport uh, due to the portal where you're going to have these quarterbacks that sit around for three and four years and wait on their time. Those days are over. They're not happening. So Sark's got to – he's change, He's having to change what he's always done as far as quarterback development with these guys. He's having to adjust to now what the college game is. And they aren't, there aren't going to be guys sit three and four years that come to the University of Texas and wait on their opportunity. You may get one of those guys. But there, it's not going to happen very often at all. And so what's going to happen is he's got to accelerate the growth of these guys, knowing that you're going to have more redshirt freshman guys playing uh, than you have at that position traditionally under Sark. It's just the changes due to the portal. Uh, Bobby, before we get out of here, what's coming on later today right here on, on Texas Football? You know, earlier today I was talking about some of those stats uh, with uh, about uh, different – uh, red zone defense, uh, the third down defense that's improved. Uh, Paul Wadlington and I are going to do a tale of the tape today that talks not only about the Texas uh, data, 
but also the TCU data going into this game. That's called tail of the tape. That comes around uh, noon today. Uh, then we have football theory. Rod and Ian Boyd nerd out about football basically uh, this evening. Uh, make sure you check back for that. Jerry has got we, – we got a bunch of stuff going on right now. A lot of stuff on Inside Texas as well. Uh, remember that uh, you can always go there, get a subscription. Uh, right now we have a lot of specials going on. Check us out at InsideTexas.com as well. I also want to say thanks again to our sponsors, Texas Road, Manscaped, uh, as well as uh, Prize Picks. Uh, guys. Go get your lawnmower 5.0. <laughs> you guys, hey, have fun. I, look, Texas is 8-1, and one, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll be hearing more at 11 o'clock today from Steve Sarkeesian. If there is breaking news, we might come back and need to do – uh, some videos. You can also check out what we write on Inside Texas as well. Uh, but uh, I'm really waiting to hear what he says uh, about when. All right, y'all. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of Coffee and Football presented by Texas Road. want to thank all of you for tuning in. Thank you for all the super chats. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, be sure to stay tuned in later today. As Bobby said, all kinds of good content coming both here and InsideTexas.com. So be sure to check that out. And for Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Welcome.